Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody. Kim and I are here every week to talk about the wine world with you and things we hope you find interesting. How are you today, Kim? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Everything is fine. Always uh, excited to talk wine and let our listeners know about uh, things we found this week in the wine world. Always and something going on. It's always, always something, something new. going on. And I like when I find an article and Kim makes comments about them before we even talk about it. It's showing <laughs> disgust about the issue. But first, we want to talk about wine bottle foils. And I'm sure our listeners' times are aggravated by these. It's the capsule that's covering your cork. It's also the capsule that secures the screw cap to your screw cap wines. And Kim mentioned she doesn't like these. She, <laughs> so why don't you explain, Kim, what you think about the foil covering the corks on a wine bottle? I don't have that big of an issue with them. Um, huh. But the main point of um, of this article, which was in the Washington Post, was that they are kind of just a throwback and wasteful at that these days in that we really no longer have the need to have this extra piece of material going over the top of our wine cork that in the past did serve a purpose. So in the old days, they were made from lead. And I'm talking old days like hundreds of years ago. Now they're generally made from either plastic or aluminum. But the purpose that they served was so that the corks wouldn't get moldy or you wouldn't have bugs chewing on the corks or mice chewing on the corks. So it was an extra layer of protection for the wine. But as our technology has gotten better and as our corks have gotten better, we really don't need anything on top of that wine bottle anymore. And the lead ones were banished <laughs> probably 100 years ago. But at this point, it really does seem to be just an extraneous piece of material that is more decorative than anything else and sometimes can be a little bit of a headache to remove from your bottle of wine. Yeah, I have to ask you, you said about the lead. And I was shocked that it said it wasn't banned until 1993 is when they banned it. 1993? 1993 is what I saw. Oh, wow. I, I kind I of assumed like, it would have been like in the early 20th yeah, century. <laughs> yeah. Pretty scary. So people probably have something in their wine shelf that's... Uh, Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned sustainability and we talked about that many times on the show. It's a big thing now. You support sustainable wines and producers are pushing that. But a lot of the producers that are pushing sustainability are still using the foil or the yeah. capsule encapsulating the screw cap is also foil. So, do you And I think, think that that is more... actually one of the big reasons to move away from it. It's just one extra thing to throw away. Why do we need it? More waste. It's more waste. Adds to the cost, obviously, of the product. And you, you mentioned, Kim, that it's a pain for people to remove this to access the co-op. So I had to ask you, Kim, we've seen it a million times. People, either they'll use a an opener and you know, score the very top of the plastic and pull just a little teeny cap off. I've seen people rip the whole thing off to get to the cork. Do you have a method or a way you trained to remove it properly? So I trained to remove it from 
the lowest part of the lip of the bottle. So if you look at the very top of a wine bottle, you'll have a bunch of different little bumps because the mouth of the bottle, it's not flush with the rest of the neck of the bottle. You've got a couple of different places that you could cut your capsule. So I usually go to the lowest point before you get to the straight-sided neck of the bottle. Now, not everybody does that. Not every restaurant trains its employees to do that. I feel like it leads to a little bit of a cleaner cut because you have less of the capsule interfering with the actual pouring of the wine. So I like to remove a little bit more of the capsule, but I don't think there's anything wrong with doing just that top little bit. And sometimes if I'm really frustrated, I'm just going to rip that whole damn thing off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes you get like too much and then it sticks out and it looks and feels annoying. So just rip the whole darn thing off. So just a, more of a visual for our listeners, Kim, that when you use a, a corkscrew, a weighted corkscrew, and you put that little, remove that little notch on the bottle, that is almost underneath there, there's another like rim like that you're probably cutting down to, right? So right. you have like yep. a little cap you pull off versus exactly. just a little cover if you do around the top rim. Yeah. So I always And I used to, to do just around the top. Like yeah. for years and years and years before I worked in restaurants, I only did the top. And then when I started training my restaurant staff was when I changed to the other method. And now that's how what I do most of the time, even at home. And when you're presenting it like in a restaurant or in front of friends even, it, it's almost I feel like it's not uh, a good thing to rip off the whole capsule, you know. <laughs> I just, know. Yeah, but, you know. But the only one to get to that one's my husband. Well, just so people, I mean, there's different ways to do it. There's no real right or wrong way as long as we get to that cork. And one of the things that I think a lot of people, why they use it, and I've gotten feedback on this a lot on these capsules, is it covers the, the fill level. So a mm-hmm. lot of times, and we mentioned fill levels a lot when we talk a screw cap. So if our listeners can picture you take off screw cap off, usually the wine is right there and overflowing. Wine with a cork. You have the cork length in the bottle, and then you have a little fill space, right? So if you don't have that capsule aluminum foil around the top, what are you seeing? You're seeing the physical cork in the bottle, and then you're seeing that air space. So a lot of people come to me and think like there's something wrong with the wine. A lot of people shop based on the visual, right, Kim? A dented can they won't take and that type of thing. So they think it's a defect in the packaging, and they're looking for something with the foil, so so used to it. Right. So I kind of wanted to get your feedback. What do you think about that as far as the the visual part not using it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's honestly more than you just mentioned this. It's a little bit more than just the visual. It's more the tradition of it, right? So people are used to seeing this as part of the packaging for the wine. And I remember back when I think it was, what was the big one from Australia? That stopped using it? Yeah. It was, I want to say- Was it Penfold? It started, started with a with an R. It wasn't Penfold. Shoot. With an R. I want to say Rosenbloom, but that's not right. So they Rose stopped- Mount. Oh, Rosemount. Rose Mount. Yeah. 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 So, and this was, you know, I'm kind of dating myself now, but they were one of the first ones to- not put a capsule at all on any of their bottles. And they had the cork and then they had little, like almost looked like a chocolate coin, but of wax on top of the cork kind of slightly pressed in and flush with the top of the bottle. And a lot of people were very uncomfortable (laughs) with that because it was so different than what they were used to. But I think because 
it was on such a mass market brand. And if you line them all up together, you could see, oh, all of these wines are that way. So it's not like this one particular bottle has a mistake on it or to say a dented package, but right, right, you know, right. it's a packaging issue. Like this is an actual decision that the company did. And I think it's harder with small wineries who want to take that step and be more environmentally conscious and be like, hey, this is extraneous and we really don't need to be putting this extra piece of material on here. But it is so ingrained in this is what a corked closed bottle of wine looks like that I think it's a little hard for people to to move away from it. But I mean, we were able to do it with screw caps. And, you know, it's too bad that screw cap wines then come with so much more metal (laughs) as their own capsule that goes down the neck of the bottle. So I think that that also was a very interesting packaging decision that the screw cap makers did, where it's not just like what you get on the top of a soda screw cap, but you have this longer metal capsule that goes down two inches. Yeah. And I'm told that whole thing is one piece. Yeah. cap in the sleeve. So, I, but I don't see why they just can't put just the cap and remove the sleeve. But right. Because I mean, if seen... you look, if you look at but their types of like even a bottle of like San Pellegrino, it just has a tiny little metal cap, you know, yeah. it doesn't have an entire capsule on it. So it's possible to do it. And it's filled know. to the top, all the screw cap wine. So I don't know why they wouldn't remove that piece because you can see you're getting it, that's my issue with the with the corked wines is why don't they just fill it up a little bit more? I know they like to yeah. leave a little airspace, but just I think fill that it up a little the, bit more. I think that the decision on the part of the early bottlers in screw cap was to make it look more like a cork bottle. Yeah. To kind of take away right. some of the newness. Yeah, because you really don't know if there's a cork in there. For right. You. Yeah. That's, that's and in the point. early days, people tried to throw a corkscrew through that right, Stelvin right. cap. So yeah. <laughs> on many occasions. <laughs> a big meme going around showing the corkscrew going through the metal cap. Ugh, I that literally was... had bottles come back to the store like that saying, where's the cork? Like, this is a screw cap. <laughs> a lot of people ask, you know, any I want the, any screw cap wines. I don't want to deal with a cork or I'm going someplace. I don't know if they have a corkscrew, that type of thing. So that's a very common I'm really that. happy that the the stigma is now mostly off of screw cap wines. It's taken 20 years, but I'm very pleased that the market has come to accept that. So, I mean, I feel like if people could accept fine wines under screw caps, then let's keep changing some things. Yeah. You know, we can we can update our packaging. Let's do it, people. Now, one of the things I also wanted to cover on this foil thing, Kim, do you recall? I want to say it was maybe five years ago, there was an issue going around about the holes in the capsule. So when our listeners have a bottle of wine that have the cork with a capsule, you look in the top and there's two little pinholes on the cork top. Oh, I vaguely remember this, but I don't remember the details. So you're going to have to fill me in. Well, people were looking at these holes in this, in the saying, you know, why does my capsule have holes in it are they injecting something into my wine and there was all this oh yeah they're they're shooting you know additives and this and that in there and it's really has something to do with when the sleeve is applied it needs holes so it seals properly i've heard that and i heard something about the breathing of the cork but i i believe the ultimate goal of the two holes is when they place it on that's like how it seals and lets air out or something so when you're drinking a wine or looking at it, look at the top and you'll see those two little holes. They are on 
probably 90% of the capsules that you'll see. So finally, Kim, is it an issue or not an issue? You think people really care that the, you know, they're throwing it away and in recycling, I'm told we're supposed to take it off because that's not recyclable. I never peel it off when I put my wines in the bin. I don't either. Now so that I, I know that I should. it's a recycling issue. But, recycling uh, issue. I think that like many other things with wine, if the wine companies make the effort to change, there might be a little pushback at first, but if it's ultimately the right thing to do, then the market will adapt. Yeah. Do you think it'll ever be adapted by the big producers? I mean, I would think they're the ones that would save the most money. Yeah, I would think so. I don't know why they wouldn't do it. I mean, you mentioned the Australian producer. Things move at a glacial pace in wine, you know, and something with so much romance and tradition and history attached to it that even your inexpensive grocery store bottle of wine still wants to have that presence of romance and history to it. And so little things like this, I feel like are part of that. It's part of what sparks people's imagination when it comes to wine. So I feel like the change probably needs to come from finer wine producers first. And then those bigger brands will be like, oh, okay, this really isn't needed. So let's get rid of it. We'll have less stuff to throw away and it's going to save us some money too. Well, I guess we can always create some sort of uh, vote no for capsules t-shirt and see yeah. <laughs> if anyone's interested and we'll get a kind of a, a gauge of what people think about it. But That would be very interesting. <laughs> listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself and the classes I teach at commonwealthwineschool.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine. In our previous episode, we talked about the wine texture description called chewy, And we're going to talk about another descriptive term that is also related to often to red wines and usually to red wines with tannins that are that are called supple. So what does this term supple in a red wine mean to you, Mark? Yeah, Kim, another wine enthusiast article. And I I was thinking we'll never see another one of these things come up to tell our listeners about. I think we've gone through chewy and funky and and another one pops up, Kim, and our listeners are saying, oh, my God, how many of these terms are we going to hear about here? But supple to me, I guess, is related to more like you talked before about chewy article, a texture, a feeling, something that's going on when you have the wine in your mouth. It's a body. It's a feeling of what's going on in my mouth. So that to me is how I would say, but I don't really use it. I don't really hear people using it. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? Kim? Yeah, it's a little more of an esoteric term. I think that we talked about chewy before. I think that chewy is a little bit more common. I think supple is a little more um, evocative, maybe, because it's not <laughs> that common of a word. And I think that it brings up more like what we think about with like soft fabrics and things like that. So I think it's a slightly more romantic term, certainly than chewy, but along the lines of silky and velvety and and terms like that that we use to describe some of these softer red wines that still have a lot of tannin to them and still have or can have a lot of body. It's a softer type of a descriptive term for tannins. Is this 
more common in red or ever used for white? So definitely more common for reds. And this article did point out that because it is it is caused by the skin contact, that when you have an orange wine or you have a skin contact white wine, you may get some of this uh, sensation as well, because you are picking up a little bit of those tannins from the skins of the grape. So, you know, a little bit of that textural element that can be found in orange wines too. So supple, more tannin description, like we've heard mm -hmm. soft tannins, integrated tannins, not overwhelming tannins, supple, if I say supple tannins in this wine, is that relatable to those other terms as well? Yeah. And I would definitely attach it to a kind of a, a lighter wine, um, maybe something with some age to it, but not necessarily something fruitier, perhaps not a big, powerful Barolo that's going to knock your socks off, but a different type of structured red wine. I hope this is making sense to our listeners. That's It's just another geeky, confusing thing that can be out there that we just had to bring up and yeah. give our two cents on. And, and it is confusing because these are some of those terms that are completely subjective, right? So we might be able to taste a bunch of wines together and say, okay, this wine, this wine, and this wine are all supple to me. But then just, just you know, describing that to someone who's not tasting those wines with you is the next step. And that's when it gets a little bit harder. And they mentioned pairing with food, a supple wine still cuts through the fat. And would you ever use the thing, a supple wine with a supple food as you use your colors, pink with pink? Mm. Is there any such thing as supple wine? I don't know that I would, what, what food I would describe as supple. I know that they talk about like beef tenderloin, but mm, I don't know. <laughs> well, that to me, like, yeah, that's like a softer mouthfeel meat. So, yeah. right. I mean, so I guess it kind of works. They also said a supple wine works with low fat wines or acidic. Did they say something about acidic drinks would cut through low? I don't know why they mentioned Ooh. acidic though. I had a note here about acidic. I don't know why. It doesn't I don't really, remember acidic. To me, well, let's talk about acid. Do you think a supple wine can be acidic, can have acidity to it? I mean, for me, it's more of a tannic thing, but I don't know if those necessarily would go hand in hand. I mean, you still need acid in a red wine in order for it to have the appropriate balance, but I don't necessarily feel like, oh, this has to have it in order to be considered supple, in my opinion. This brings back the same questions I hit you with when we talked about <laughs> uh, the Chewy article, but uh, can you make a wine supple by decanting it? Like we talked about Chewy wine, Ooh. it kind of softens the tannins by decanting. Yeah. Can you take away a little bit of that tanninness to make it come out, you know, say it's supple now because I decanted a wine? Well, you can certainly soften a wine by doing it. And so if this is just another way of saying that your wine is on the softer side, then absolutely. And again, with aged wine, which I asked you with the Chewy article, would you consider aged wines to be more supple than newer wines? Depends on the wine. Vintage wines. Yeah. Same old, always more questions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> more issues coming up. Always leads yeah. to more questions. Do you ever use the term yourself? You you mentioned you did at one point say you've heard it, right? I mean, definitely heard it. More um, common than chewy. Probably to time. I can't or on the last time. I don't really see it in reviews at all. Review. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's more of like an old fashioned -y kind of term? I'm thinking, yeah, it's something yeah. it's in, we have to mention it because it might've been used in the past or maybe it's an, a British thing where it's more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More uh, polite, 
you know, right. way of saying okay. something about a wine. Oh, okay. But I think that this is a positive. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I don't I, think that they're that a wine writer would be using it as a, a euphemism for something unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you could take chewy as might be unpleasant. <laughs> right. That right. could be when a good someone thing says or a bad it's thing. supple, you're thinking soft, you're thinking it, it must be enjoyable, right. right? Silky. Yeah. It's a good point. Like positive things. Not does negative the, things. Does the term in any way pinpoint a descriptor? Above and beyond those the tannins? A, above yeah, like if someone said it's supple, I'm thinking, all right, it's uh, going to be soft acid. It's going to be soft tannin. It doesn't really pinpoint something where it's going to give me a major description of the wine other than a mouthfeel. Well, I think that's the the whole thing about these more subjective terms, right, is you can use the word, but then it's a little bit harder for another person to really know what the heck you're meaning by it. Right. What about sign of quality in a wine? Um, not necessarily. I mean, no. it's just a way to say this wine is slightly different from this wine. I'm just trying to put things out there to see if our listeners here if they can put something to it to value. Is it going to be? Would this you think way? that it would be associated with value? No, I wouldn't. No. Yeah, neither would I. And <laughs> <laughs> if someone was trying to sell me a bottle and they said it's supple, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really appreciate that because it means really it doesn't help me. Mm-hmm. Really, well, especially when you have it there to taste too. You know, right. you, you're not looking for someone else to give you a tasting note. You're you can rely on yourself to determine what you think the wine tastes like. Right. So a lot of these descriptions, I think every one of the descriptions we've talked about it from wine enthusiasts. What do you think wine enthusiasts' overall goal is to bring these up all the time for us to bring up to our listeners? Because they're terms people should know, or they're just something that's out there that people should be aware of. I it's think an it's awareness, because right? they're out there and their goal seems to be to try to demystify some of these tasting notes, whether they're their own tasting notes that their publication publishes or just for general wine education purposes. Yeah, you I, know, that's a point I've never thought of. They probably use them. They do use some pretty... Uh, big <laughs> descriptors in, yeah. in their wine reviews. So, so, you know, it could be a way for them to enlighten their readers about what their wine tasting notes are all about. I'll have to check the issue after this was in. Go look for some supple wine. Yeah. If they had like <laughs> 10 out of 20 wines reviewed, they said supple in some way or, <laughs> or they used it. I mean, that's interesting. I never thought of it from that point of view that maybe they put it out there because they're going to start using they it. they use it, right? Or they used it in a previous issue and someone wrote them and said, what the, what the heck are you talking <laughs> what about? What the heck is supple? Yeah, that's a good point. I never took it that way. So anything else on supple you think our listeners? I've, I've never seen it on a wine label descriptor. So I, I would think it's not going to be common thing to see. I think it's a possible one for people to run across, but not to get... Uh, too worked up about it. Ever had a student ask you, <laughs> is this wine supple? Yeah. Or say it. I mean, if they did say it to me, I'd be like, what? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you read that I, I, article. But, but I wouldn't be particular. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw it in somebody's tasting note. Yeah. Well, another term. Another I, I, another wine what term. Is, I was trying to think of chew, chewy, funky. What are some other ones we use lately? Oh, what God, have we, we talked about lately? Juicy. We talked oh, about juicy. juicy and right? then, then we talked about like newer terms. Crushable. Oh, yeah. The cr- crushable one, which still. There's I mean, I get so crushable, but then there was another one that I think we talked about in June that was something that I associated more with like summery 
wines. I can't remember what it was now, but yeah, well, sort of we, newer we, we'll terms. Tell the listeners there's not going to be another one of these conversations we're going to have <laughs> with them, Kim, because I always think there won't be. And then another thing pops up in the wine enthusiast. And once again, we're still waiting for our free subscription. Right? <laughs> we mentioned every article for them. Well, I find it interesting to talk yeah. about these, uh, these different terms that people can use. So it is interesting. Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We're your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you like more information about Kim, please go to her website, commonwealthwineschool.com. For more information about myself, please go to franklinlickers.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We post all these articles and we'd love any feedback you have or questions we can answer on the show. We are on Twitter at Wine Education. We're on Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine. And you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Wine, wine, wine.